Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Nut Shit. Shit. Nerd shit. It's going on. Some nerd shit. Stepping in to the nerd shit. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was try- I was trying to go for some kind of weird, like, mumblecore Drake thing. I don't know. That was nice. <laughs> I like that. That might be a new theme song. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the theme. That's the theme from now on. Uh, you heard it here first. Sam, how, how did your concert go? It was great, actually. Yeah, we, we played a really good show. They kicked us off, uh, like, two songs away from where we were going to end, but that's the... It was one of those things where I, I guess like they counted the sound check as part of our actual time, so we thought we had more time to play than we did. But those it was like on, on our like on our penultimate song, we got kicked off the stage. But we still we was great while we were up there. You know? Damn it! <laughs> it's like it's like the cane came out and yanked us off. It's like we were the opening act, so we we probably went on like like we have this like guitar solo in our second song which like went on like five minutes longer than it usually does so I, think, <laughs> I think that probably ate it. i think it probably ate it to our time a little bit but you know it was a good show though it was really fun i'm glad you had a good show yeah so i'm zach schneider i'm sam wilson and i am troy hensley uh today we're going to be reviewing zach snyder's justice league spoilers ahead uh, but first, we do have a few topics we did want to discuss beforehand. The first one we wanted to cover was a bit of recent news. This is actually uh, news I only just became aware of. Is that there is a Thundercats movie that has uh, started development from the director of Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, Adam Wingard. Yeah. I want to play Mambra. I think that's literally all that's been announced is Thundercats, Adam Wingard. I think that's all that's been announced so far, so... We don't know anything. Like, I think that... I don't even know if they have a script yet. They certainly haven't started casting. This reminds me... Have you guys seen, like, a number of... This is from a mm-hmm. while ago. There was a fake trailer that somebody made for a Thundercats movie where they took... It was Hugh Jackman, Vin Diesel, and Brad Pitt, and they used footage from the old knight from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade to be, like, the guy, like, the, the, the you know, whatever. The... I never I never watched the show, guys. I don't even know, but... You never even watched like Brad the show. Pitt from Troy and uh, Wolverine from the X-Men movies and Vin Diesel from Chronicles of Riddick. But they did, like, this, like, this CG thing where they made them look like cats. And it was, <laughs> it was so good. But, but they made it look like this really serious, like, action-adventure thing. It's like... <laughs> Wow, okay, I would be weirdly... I've never even watched Thundercast, but I'd weirdly be down for, like, that version of it with that cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've only seen... I saw one of the more recent attempts at Thundercats. Uh, the series that had... Uh, what's his name? The actor from... Bat, voice actor from Batman Kevin Beyond. Conroy or no, um... Upe. No, the oh, one who played uh, Terry. Oh, Jesus, I totally know him. He's in a lot. Blinking 100%. Anyhow, had him, but as a side result, partially because of that, and also partially because the character, like, ended up using a lot of gadgets the entire time, I couldn't help but thinking, it's like, ah oh, yes, Thundercats, starring Wolf Batman. Riedel. That's it, yeah, Wolf Riedel. Wolf Riedel. But no, that was, that was pretty good. So, yeah, there's quite a few different directions they could take that. Um, you know, the series is, depending on the series, some have skewed way more serious, um, some have skewed way more comedic. I think the current series of Thundercats is about as comedic as you can get, although I'm guessing if they're getting David Wingard, that's probably not the direction they're going uh, for the movie. 
Yeah, I'm I'm interested. I'm, I'm always down. down for a good ride, even a bad yeah. ride. Yeah, right. and it could be a train ride. wreck, but it could be an entertaining train wreck. I feel like if they're doing Thundercats, there has to be a certain amount of tongue in cheekness about it, just because yes. of these weird anthropomorphized cat warrior people. Uh, yes. But at the same time, like I feel like they could go a direction where they toe the line, where it's kind of funny but kind of serious and has action, like kind of an action comedy. Maybe they could mm. go like the kind of tone of like a Marvel movie, where it's it's funny but it also takes itself seriously at the same time type thing. They could go mm. that route if they want to. Uh, one thing just wanted to discuss was a casting announcement for the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series. The actors for Onan Beru from the Attack of the Clones movie, as well as uh, Revenge of the Sith, they are actually back in their respective roles. Also reprising their role is Hayden Christensen is actually coming back as Darth Vader. Yes. Along with uh, newcomers uh, Camille Nanjiani and Dira Varma. It was a whole sheet showing a bunch of cast members. As far as the newcomers go, Kamal was the one that kind of jumped out of like, oh, he's in this show? And in huh? of Varma, I've also seen in a bunch of things too. Uh, there's actually some speculate, and this is pure fan speculation, that Indira Varma might be playing a Inquisitor. But that, oh. that's that's one of those pure that's Ooh. one of those pure speculations that we don't know if that's actually yeah. the case. maybe maybe that a would be sister. fucking awesome. There are several brothers that. and sisters that I think are unaccounted for still. It's like yes. there's a couple in Rebels. There's there's a few in Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. There's one in the Ahsoka novel that she ends up killing in that novel too. So like there's there's a few from through, but there's still a few that are unaccounted for. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm ex- I'm just excited for this show. The Hayden Christensen thing had come out a few weeks ago but that was just also part as as reinforces part of this announcement it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him i imagine that if vader himself shows up he's probably going to be in the suit but i imagine they wouldn't just get him to be in the suit i think there's going to be flashbacks i kind of think so too actually i think he's going to play anakin yeah and Mm -hmm. i don't think he's going to voice darth i think that darth vader will be on the show but i think they'll probably get james earl jones and they're they're just hiding that announcement or or they Mm. could get like a james earl jones like sound alike if if, if they really want to like i doubt they're going to get hayden to voice vader Mm. they might if if vader shows up as you know mr potato head without the mask i imagine hayden will probably play that but it would be interesting james earl jones is getting on up there yeah, that he was is. one thing about his appearances in Rebels and Rogue One is that I loved having him back, but you can hear there's a difference in his voice yeah. from, uh, compared to back then. Yeah, much as I love James Earl Jones, it may be a good it's time, that time to. Yeah, it is time to maybe find a new actor for the voice. Um, of course, anyone can be in the suit. In Revenge of the Sith, Hayden Christensen mm-hmm. was actually the man in the suit. Uh, yeah, back they the got someone well. else for Rogue One though, and I'm wondering they'll probably use Hayden since they have him. But like, I'm what they they also could go the route of using Hayden in flashbacks as Anakin and using the same guy that they use. Because the guy they got for Rogue One did a really good job of channeling David Prowse. He did. He had a he had a lot of that same. He did. Yeah. So Joel Edgerton, of course, played uh, Owen in the prequels, and has since then become a much bigger actor than than he was at the time mm-hmm. of his casting. So it'll be it'll be fun seeing him come back. I I love Joel. Joel Edgerton is such a good actor. I love oh, yeah. whenever he shows up. 
Yeah, I, de- I definitely love seeing him show up. Those are characters that even in extended material don't have as much material on them. And they're they're not simple characters in the sense of com- being completely boring, but they are intentionally simple people. As in, they personally chose to have their lives be as simple as possible. Yeah. But it wouldn't it be nice to see a little bit more of them. Of course, having Joel Edgerton reprise his role, you know, him having a much more experience and clearly being a more comfortable, more seasoned actor at this point, it'd be extremely welcome to um, see what he does through the role now. As far as casting news, DC, who is casting in the increasingly packed Black Adam movie, we have uh, Pierce Brosnan joining the role as Dr. Fate, which... To me, it makes perfect sense. I can, like, the minute I saw that, I'm like, yep, yeah, that tracks. I, mean, I, I don't know that much about Dr. Fate, other than that he's, I guess, kind of DC's equivalent to Dr. Strange in some ways. I don't hmm. I don't know a whole lot about Dr. Fate, but, like, I, I've heard the name, and, like, I'm you're not going to cast a guy like Pierce Brosnan if you're not planning on having mm-hmm. him be in more movies down the line. Yeah. That's kind of my thing. I agree. He's going to be a supporting character in this movie, and then they're going to spin him off, maybe give him his own movie and have him pop up in other movies too. That's kind of (laughs) my suspicion, is what they're probably going to do. I definitely think that probably both Black Adam and Pierce Brosnan are going to show up in, if not Shazam 2, then certainly (laughs) Shazam 3. Because I know that we we already talked about that Helen Mirren is probably playing the villain of Shazam 2, so they might be saving the Shazam v. Black Adam face-off for a third movie, possibly. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Black Adam, because that's not a character I would have expected them to give his own movie, but (laughs) when you've you've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you give him his own movie, goddammit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Marvel took took a a C-list character like Tony Stark, and he became the main character of the whole movement. So giving it to someone like The Rock, I think that's a smart, smart step in the right direction for these movies. He's long been sort of an anti-hero where he is fervently right by his standards. Mm-hmm. His standards and his kingdom. It's just that outside of his kingdom, he doesn't particularly care what happens to other people. Dr. Fate's an interesting mix because much like the wizard they both got their powers from, they're both connections to the larger magical side of the DC universe. Um, Especially Dr. Fate, who I'm not sure if he's going to get his own movie, but I would not be surprised in any way to see him show up in a ton of other movies, as Dr. Fate, weirdly, is kind of the major supporting character in a lot of shows and movies, where he's vaguely important, but he's so powerful that he's not much of a protagonist figure. But having Black Adam have his own movie is, like, it's an interesting choice, but it actually does make sense in a way. He's a very complex character who can actually go in a lot of different directions, um, depending on how... Yeah, and I'm just looking forward to being for myself introduced to these characters because again like i don't know dc the way that i know marvel like i know certain characters like i know the batman pocket of dc really well but the larger dc universe i don't really know very well so for me i'll pretty much be introduced to these characters so i'm looking forward to seeing those movies as as a newcomer i'm like you i uh sam i'm excited to see what they do with these magical characters Uh, me it's just getting me giddy because these are the actual comic book <laughs> characters that I liked. Doctor Strange was my favorite whenever it came to Marvel. Because I've always liked the sorcerers and I've always liked the wizards. It's why I took the path in life that I took. Seeing how this is going, I'm getting a little excited. So one sad bit of casting news that also happened was... Not sad exactly. I found it sad. 
uh, was the replacement of Henry Allen, the father of Barry Allen, the Flash, in the upcoming Flash movie. So they are replacing Billy Crudup with uh, Ron Livingston. And I like Ron Livingston. It's not a mark against him. I just thought that Ezra Miller and Billy Crudup had excellent chemistry. Well, and I had said this before. If you didn't realize it because he was naked and blue, Billy Crudup, of course, played uh, Dr. Manhattan in Zack Snyder's Watchmen. And I imagine that that's why he kind of, like, Snyder likes to bring his actors forward. And it might just be a case of Crudup just liked collaborating with Snyder and wasn't necessarily interested in coming out with another director. Or it might just be something even more innocuous than that. Maybe it's just schedule conflicts or, you know, money Mm. shit. There's always just money shit, it feels like. There's (laughs) shit out the way. I love Ron Livingston. So, like, I'm, I'm disappointed too, but, like, I don't think it's a downgrade. I just think it's a lateral move you know i like ron livingston a lot i think he's a really good and really underrated actor in my opinion i love him in office space i love him in a lot of the other things that he's in he's a good dad actor he played uh what is the movie where he played uh, chloe chloe moretz's dad it was that stupid alien movie that was terrible um <laughs> uh the fifth wave that was what it was called Oh, yeah, that movie sucked, but... <laughs> <laughs> you mean we agree on something? As I said, it's not a knock against Livingston. I'm, I'm only disappointed because, again, I liked the chemistry between Ezra Miller and Billy Crudup, but Ron Livingston is a fantastic actor. I really do like him, and I am interested to see how what he brings to I bet role. in this version, Henry Allen is in prison because he was uh, stealing fractions of his cent from his company every time a transaction <laughs> was made. He finally got caught. <laughs> He was he was jailed incorrectly because someone did burn down the office, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly wasn't it? Wasn't it? So let's get to the discussion of the nights. This might take a while, but it's definitely worth it. Which is also uh, what I said right after watching the movie, Zack Snyder's Justice League. First of all, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, just after watching it, calling it that full title, Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's very well deserved. It is very clearly a Zack Snyder movie, 100%. This is a movie that is actually pretty character-driven, surprisingly. We did, of course, go into a discussion of the previous Justice League film, had our own opinions on that. I personally felt that the characters were much better served in this cut. Calling it a cut is almost not fair, because this is practically a completely different movie. But yeah, let's discuss the first most famous... Not the best served, but one who had a little more subtle turn in this film, uh, the Batman. <laughs> Where are the other drugs going? <laughs> I lost my voice. I can't. I can't not talk like this. So Troy, what do you think about uh, our uh, man in black and gray? I think that, other than Michael Keaton, this is the best rendition of Batman ever written. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for uh, Sam it's to roll his eyes. It's, it's second um, place. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I that that's what I give him. I I'm Michael like, Keaton is not wow. That's where we <laughs> well, Christopher Nolan See, sucks. He's you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when it comes to Ben Affleck as Batman, he can do both. Christian Bale. Couldn't do Batman, but he could do Bruce Wayne. Michael Keaton did the hell out of Batman, but he could not do Bruce Wayne. 
And the rest of them in that series, they couldn't do Batman or Bruce Wayne <laughs> or act or remember their lines. You know what, I'm Kilmer? going for takeout. <laughs> Clooney, everybody. <laughs> this is some Kevin Conroy hate. But I'm not, I'm not scared. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we're counting. I guess we're just talking about live action versions. That's right. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Kevin Conroy was a great Batman voice, but but no, I have never seen anyone, and this is including Adam West and Michael Keaton, the true Batman. Alec, he hit it. He nailed it. He studied the role. He lived it, and he looked good doing it, you know? And I'm not saying om nom 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 because (laughs) om nom 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 nom. But I am saying that he went into it, and he nailed the shit out of this role. I was super impressed with his performance as Batman and as Bruce Wayne because we didn't see that separation. He relied heavily on his plans He relied heavily on his technology, and that is what Batman does. Joss Whedon fucked up on the editing of the Batman in this because I enjoyed seeing the the oopses that Batman had, but Batman would not have that many oopses. I mean, we're talking about a character that has a plan B for everybody in the Justice League to kill them, including himself. I just... I really enjoyed this version of Batman. I really did. So that's that's my piece on Batman. Yeah, um, I'm still waiting for Goodwill Hunting 2 hunting season. His is <laughs> with uh, Matt, Matt Damon personally. <laughs> Seriously, if you if you have not seen the Jay and Silent Bob movies, those those are a treat. I think that he was really improved in this version. He wasn't terrible in the original, but they did a good job of connecting his journey in this one with where he came from in Batman v Superman, where you genuinely see at the beginning of this movie and even throughout this movie that he knows how much he kind of fucked up as a person in BVS Mm. and how much he kind of betrayed his own code so much. And you see the remorse and you see that this entire movie is him trying to make amends for Mm -hmm. that. He was inspired by Superman and Superman's sacrifice. And that helped him get back in touch with the Batman that he always knew that he had to be in the beginning. He remembers why he became Batman. And he also is, it realizes within this movie, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this forever. And that's why I have to assemble the League is to, to help me face this threat and eventually yeah. to succeed me it can't just be me protecting the world yeah and i just i really enjoy that i enjoyed the fact there were still some moments of humor yeah. uh i liked i liked the uh that they kept lines like the uh so what's your power anyway i'm rich <laughs> you know i like i like the little quips like that yes he was less quippy in this one than he was in the whedon studio frankenstein cut they still managed to find a way to soften him up compared to how he was in bvs mm. In a way that felt organic, while still having him be a, a serious character with some weight on his shoulders, and who yeah. still brought a certain level of gravitas to the movie. So, anytime you get to see him interact with Jeremy Irons, Alfred is just a pleasure. Their, their chemistry <laughs> is pure gold. Absolutely. Watching this movie made me appreciate how fucked up the first version of this movie was, the theatrical version. The reason for that, the scene that keeps coming back to me, is Superman's resurrection. 
where in the Whedon version, it's entirely Batman's idea. He's got a contingency plan he keeps referring to as the big guns. In that version, that is him doing it because he wants a big weapon against Steppenwolf. In this version, the entire League comes together and decides that we want Superman back, not as a weapon, but because we have a chance of bringing him back, and this is the hero that inspired all of us to come back and yes. be better. Flash directly says that Superman is my hero. He was my hero. Batman, of course, is looking for a chance to undo... This entire movie is him trying to undo the mistakes he made in Batman v Superman, and this he sees as his most literal chance to undo that. In the Wheaton cut, after Superman is resurrected, he goes on a rampage, and that happens here too. The tone of it is very different, because in the Wheaton cut, they were expecting, oh, what if he comes back wrong, and they get a bit joking about it here. Him coming back wrong was very unexpected to everyone. They all had faith in that, and there's a delivery. In the Wheaton cut, Superman attacks Batman, and he toys with him, mockingly says, Oh, do you bleed? Grabs him by the throat, yeah. and it's like kind of hackneyed and almost funny. And then later, Batman gets thrown against the car, and he's like, Oh, I felt that in my bones. I'm going to have trouble getting up. Ho, ho, ho. Here, Superman <laughs> just floats at Batman and then tries to just vaporize him with his laser eyes. And Batman, as you mentioned earlier, had a gadget that he'd prepared earlier because he was inspired by Wonder Woman's gauntlets, so he made his own high-tech version. So he was prepared for that, though he didn't really expect to need them in this situation. They don't talk for most of that interaction at all. Superman just tries to kill Batman. Batman barely manages to survive using his gadgets and his wits. And he's not trying to fight back. He's barely trying to defend himself. As Superman is coming down on him, all he's saying is, Clark, no. Clark, don't do this. Not even because he's afraid to die. That's actually something interesting about this version of Batman, is he's really not afraid to die. And in fact, he's expecting yes. it. So many times over the course of this film, he is expecting that he is about to die. But you can see just based on Ben Affleck's delivery, the tone of the scene, that he doesn't want Clark to kill him because that's not who Clark is supposed to be. That's not who Superman is supposed to be. And that all of that was lost in the Studio Whedon cut. I completely agree with you. There's one line from the Whedon cut that I actually sort of liked that was not in this cut, which was Superman saying, you won't let me live, you won't let me yeah. die. I kind of like that line, but I didn't necessarily miss it either. But So I, I agree, this, this, that, that scene was infinitely better. I missed it. Yeah. I missed that line. And I also, I don't know, I like the way they handled that, oh, something's bleeding. Those were my two favorite Overall, lines. Overall, this is a almost perfect version of an older Batman. One who has regrets, but is back in touch with who he wants to be, and realizing that he has to get the next generation of heroes out there because his own time is very limited. He'll keep doing whatever he can for as long as he can, but he knows that his time is running out. Um, amongst the heroes who weren't entirely terrible in the first version, we also have 
some changes to Wonder Woman, although not as many. But yeah, Sam, what you what you think of the the Wonder Woman? Yeah, I think you you pretty much nailed it. Like, there's not as much to say in regards to her because I don't think that she was as radically changed as some of the other characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not that any of them were radically radically changed, but like in terms of you know like better service, mm-hmm. I feel that she was pretty well serviced in the original. I thought she was pretty well serviced in this one. It's neither one is really her movie. She fills a good role within it. I I just think that this movie is just so much better edited than the first one. She has the same basic introduction action scene in both versions uh, of the the people who seem like they're doing some kind of robbery, but then it turns out to be a suicide bombing. Pretty much the exact same scene in both versions. It just is way better in this version because it's better edited. (laughs) You know, and that's kind of the case of like a lot of... uh, scenes in a lot of wonder woman's things it's like there was nothing wrong with the way she was portrayed in the previous one i just think that the editing serviced her as a character a lot better Mm -hmm. this time around that scene in particular has a couple of really good examples where the first scene as is is pretty good she breaks in comes in on the suicide bombing she takes out all the guards using her speed and strength throws the bomb out through a skylight and saves the day but here in this version, her punches hit harder. That godly strength is way more on display. She moves faster. When she throws the bomb through the sky at the beginning in Joss Whedon's Justice League, she has to jump up through the skylight. She gets to an upper floor of the building, throws the bomb, and then, you know, barely makes it down. In this version, she jumps higher, the bomb gets thrown farther too. And she also gets caught directly in the blast, but comes away unsinged. That's actually one thing I'll keep coming back to over the course of this movie. She, among other characters, are clearly more obviously powerful in this edit. And the scenes, again, are very similar, if not exactly the same a couple of times. Hers actually received the fewest amount of changes. But, as you said, they're better edited to service the characters a little better. Um, I especially love how in this version she takes a moment after the unfortunate tourist group of kids get horribly traumatized for life. She takes a moment to, you know, calm down and give an inspiring message to one of them and just let them know, Hey, I know that man is in several thousand pieces behind me, but you're going to be okay. Which, I, I know that sounded facetious, but it's actually not. I actually really like that moment. Here's here's the number th- for a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought her part was cut pretty well, and I noticed that there wasn't a lot added to her. It made me wonder. I was on edge that there... Did you wonder about the woman? Yeah. Good play on words. It made me wonder about his original writing. I do like the introduction scene. It was amazing. It really, truly was. But I wanted a little more from her. I'm just so used to the Wonder Woman movies that were amazing sam amazing the first one was pretty cool. i gave it a six yeah <laughs> but that's how i feel i wanted more i will say the one thing that i absolutely love is when they were having to fight superman when he didn't know who he was and he still didn't know who he was near the end of the movie he knew who he was but it wasn't all the way back i will say that when they fought yeah. She stood her ground a lot more in this movie. He wasn't mm-hmm. completely overpowering of her. And I absolutely mm-hmm. hated that shit 
and the and the Joss Whedon. Well, cut. and that goes back to what Zach was saying was that I think all of the characters come across as more yes. powerful in this in this cut. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a really sharp imbalance in the studio Whedon cut between how much more powerful Superman was than literally yep. all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. It was like Superman was ba- basically was just the deus ex machina of we're going to bring him back so that the rest of us don't have to yep. do shit. That <laughs> <laughs> was pretty much what it was. <laughs> One character who I do think did get a little better service in this film, uh, certainly had a little more story, was uh, the Aquaman. Ocean Man! Take me by the hand and lead me to, to the, the land. land. <laughs> but yeah, I like that still played by Jason Moe and he has a lot of the charm of Jason Moe, but I do like that he is more his own character this time as opposed to we're just writing on how likable Jason Moe is. It's like, no, we, we do actually have some writing for this character. He is actually a more interesting character. Like they mention in the original version that... Aquaman is a little conflicted over how he feels about being on land, being on the ocean. Here it's way more apparent in this cut of the movie that he really does not know how he belongs. He insists that he's a loner, but he is constantly compelled to come back and help people, even if he doesn't like them very much. Uh, He comes back and helps Mira and the Atlanteans. He comes back and helps a man drowning in the boat, even if his next action is to throw him in a bar and say, yeah, you're paying my, for my tab. I know you're like half unconscious, but you're paying <laughs> for my drink, man. And I really like that he's not, even by the end of the movie, he's not 100% where he wants to be, but he has become more accepting of his dual nature and accepting the fact that it's like, all right, I guess I am actually kind of a nice guy who does care about other people, but don't you fucking tell anyone. My take is that I think that he was pretty much the same character mm-hmm. in both versions. I just think they went a little deeper in, mm-hmm. in this cut. I don't think anything about his personality was changed. We just learned more about him. Mm-hmm. This is still the broiest Aquaman oh, of absolutely. all time. You know, like, again, I, I think for the most part, most of the new characters that were introduced in this movie felt pretty consistent like we'll get to the flash as well like i think that most of these characters felt pretty consistent for throughout mm. both cuts that we just find out more yeah. about them and it's just better editing i mean the scene where uh aquaman where bruce and aquaman are talking to each other uh at, at, when bruce is trying to recruit aquaman almost the exact same scene in both versions except the editing is just way fucking better in the snyder cut mm-hmm. and and j- just the, the scene where the scandinavian women start singing their ocean lament mm-hmm. and then bruce just looks and aquaman's just gone and there's just like a ripple of water where, where he once was mm-hmm. it was so much of a cooler way for for the character to kind of uh disappear and like i know it lasts like five minutes it is overindulgent <laughs> but i i love the scandinavian women i, I i'm just saying back here it's like this is so Zack snyder and yeah. i'm just embracing how <laughs> snyder it is you know which is kind of how i feel about this entire movie yeah. i actually love a lot of what he does this movie is super indulgent this movie is Zack snyder like going as hard as he can for the most part actually i think it works out and i like that but that yeah, you do have this scene. It's like this is super cool. It should probably be like two minutes shorter, but I just feel like they screwed him over so hard with that original cut that they just owed it to him to let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to at this point. That's fair. After That's screwing fair. him over so hard, again, well, I'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. 
I think it's a lot of hype. I mean, it was nice to see. It was nice to see more of the of the characters in depth, but I think it's more hype. I really enjoyed this movie, and I do prefer it over the other one. But I think he wasted a lot of time with the backstories when we could have had more more of the story going forward. It's just my personal opinion. One character I will say that I think had some drastic changes. One who was drastically better served in this cut uh, was Ezra Miller's Flash, who was already likable in the first one. This time around, he was still very much the comedic relief in a lot of ways, which this movie needed because... Um, it could get a little self-serious at yeah. times. But I also enjoyed that while, much like the original version, much like the Whedon uh, studio version, I'm always going to call it the Whedon studio version because let's be honest, that yeah. wasn't entirely Joss Whedon. It That's true. entirely not Joss Whedon, but good lord, was it obvious the studio was interfering there. Yeah. I, I, I don't think Joss Whedon is responsible for how yeah. bad that version is at all. No. I'll, I'll come back to that. The Flash has done a lot better service in this. Um, much, much better service, actually. In that there's several fight scenes early on, like the scene where they're evacuating the stairwell and all of a sudden he notices a giant pile of rocks about to clear everyone. There's an excellent visual action shot of the Flash clearing all of the rubble at once and all anyone could see is a vaguely blue blur moving among the debris, um, moving the rocks out of the way. And um, there's a couple of other moments like that. The first scene demonstrating his super speed where we see why he has to be so careful and one of the reasons that he's uncertain about his abilities is that he's moving so fast that a single touch shatters glass that simply running down the pavement will shatter the pavement around him so every single move he makes at that speed has to be incredibly gentle i mean it's because windows no longer supports flash (laughs) that's the real reason yeah (laughs) i love the subtlety of how much that shows both how powerful the Flash is, his potential, and also showing who Barry Allen is. He is a man who has such incredible power, such incredible speed, and such incredible restraint with that. And one of the best scenes in the movie, a scene that I actually keep coming back to just because I love it so much, is in the climax where all of a sudden the heroes fail. They simply don't stop the Doomsday device in time and everyone dies. Except for Barry, the Flash, who at the last minute manages to phase through. I liked also that this was hinted at a few times in the scene, like when Superman is resurrecting you briefly see time move back a bit and you also see him accidentally phase through a wall. But I love that in this version you have him finally demonstrate something that's going to be important in Flashpoint and is part of the Flash movie that no, his power is not speed. His power is a very strange movement through another dimension of space and time. And he literally races backward through time and he doesn't know whether or not it's going to succeed. He doesn't know whether or not he's going to rip himself apart doing this. He's just been shot in the side. I love Ezra Miller's performance of that. Just the way his voice breaks when he's just got shot and he's saying no give me more time i can get back up i can do this and his voice is breaking and it's like heartbreaking to see just how serious he's taking the stakes even though he's in no condition to be doing any of this but he does and he comes back he does bring everyone back and he hands the torch off to victor and basically what i'm saying is the flash got served 110 percent better 
Yeah. I Barry. completely agree. Activate the Omega 13. <laughs> <laughs> Go back in time. 13 seconds. <laughs> down to undo a single mistake. <laughs> I agree with you, Zach. That scene where he's going back in time is one of the best scenes. In, yes. Like, there are a lot of scenes I love in this movie, but that was one of the best scenes in the movie. Certainly I completely the best, agree. Like, Flash was so much better service, and I, I loved him. And like we, we actually all said this. We we loved him in the the mm-hmm. studio cut. Yeah, but I really I thought he was so much better service in this cut. Like just in terms of his story, even from his first scene, I love the scene where he saves Iris at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think it's is a really good. Uh, for, first of all, introducing Iris, although not actually naming her yet. But but I I just think that again in a lot of his scenes, like his the scene where. Bruce Wayne shows up at his place is pretty much identical in, mm-hmm. in both versions. But yeah, I think that they, they just did such a good job of of servicing this character, of making him this kind of hyperactive, funny nerd, but still treating him a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. at the same time and giving a little more weight to the character. Even yeah. the weird scene where Cyborg and Flash are digging up Superman's grave, it's less played as this kind of awkward thing for laughs of like... In the studio cut, it's literally like, wait, why am I not doing this fast? What? <laughs> and in this version, it's like, it's because it yeah. just feels disrespectful somehow. And like, you yeah. kind of take, you take it seriously, you know? Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. The character that I think will receive the absolute best service in this version, who unexpectedly became the entire heart of this movie, I think, was Ray Fisher's Cyborg. So the first thing I'm going to say about this is after watching this movie, one of the first thoughts that ran through my head was, fuck, did the studio do Ray Fisher dirty? Just because he is pretty much the emotional heart of this movie. He has his hero's journey where we see, first of all, the full nature of his capabilities, the fact that he can hack into anything with barely a thought. I love that we see early on that he was already a smart young man who had a football scholarship, was also generally doing well in his classes, but was willing to risk all of that because he turned to another student and saw that they were struggling and he felt that he had to do something to help. And that is so much who the character of Cyborg is, which we got none of in the original cut. We didn't get any of that whatsoever, but that's who he is. After becoming a cyborg, one of his first acts is, again, turning to see a family that has run out of luck, has been screwed over by capitalism, and just giving them a little more money, a little more time to be able to move forward. Because, again, that's who he is. He's someone who has great power, he's a very smart young person, and... He just has a good heart. And seeing him accept that these changes that happened to him aren't a curse, as he originally thought. Seeing him accept who he is by the end of the movie and learning to appreciate himself as he is again by the end of the movie was a beautiful journey. And the studio cut fucking all of that. Every single bit of that. I mentioned before when I watched the first version of the movie that I thought it was okay, that I liked it. Seeing what happened to Cyborg's story, seeing what they cut, I actually genuinely hate the studio cut now. I cannot stand it because of that. I really love what 
they did with him. I think that we got more of an understanding of his character. Uh, his cut is my favorite part of this. I do like how they kind of edited everything and then put it together to where you're introduced to each character one by one. And I do like that you get that bio piece, uh, especially of the newer ones. You know, we all know who Wonder Woman is. We all know where she came from. We all know who Superman is. We all know where he came from. We all know who Batman is. And we've seen those fucking pearls hit the ground in the alley <laughs> too many fucking times. But when it came to Flash and when it came to Cyborg, we needed that live action story. I wanted more even after this. I wanted them to have their own movies. But seeing this, I was satisfied that they gave so much time and work to Cyborg that we know exactly where he comes from, that he is more human than machine. He just looks like a machine. And that's how I felt. They touched on that subject in the studio uh, cut, but they didn't show me. You know, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel that human side that we needed to feel. I love what they did with Cyborg. I love that they showed that human side. And I love that um, it goes back to that classic monster movie where the monster, the one that looks like a monster, is usually not the monster. You know, he, he has all this alien technology on him, but he is one of the most human and humane characters of the Justice League. What you were saying, Troy, about how he was more human than he was machine in this version, that was why I felt that he was probably the most dramatically improved <laughs> character is is because of that reason. In the in the studio cut, the theatrical cut, Joe Morton like walks in to the first scene and like the first time we see Cyborg it's like, "Oh, what are you doing, son?" <laughs> yes. You know, uh, Diana, like, asks him, like, over, over the, the, the text, like, are you Victor Stone? And he replies, I was. <laughs> like, what? Like, what, what is this guy? Like, he just, he just, is, in that version, you it, they make it seem like he just is mm -hmm. a robot. They make it seem like he just has become a robot in this version. In this version, he was an actual human mm -hmm. character. I hated Cyborg yeah. in the previous cut. Like, even before seeing this version, I absolutely could not stand that character. He's one of my favorite mm -hmm. characters in this version. He was so much more... He was so much dramatically improved. As far as, like, the, the fact that he was so badly serviced in, in the studio cut, I think that what it comes down to, the studio cut was completely engineered to be as commercial a yeah. movie as possible. And Cyborg was given the shaft because he's the most obscure character yep. in the lineup. Like, I hate to say it, but I really think that that's exactly why it was. Literally every other character, like Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman are the big three. People know who Aquaman is. People know who the Flash is. Those are all big characters. Cyborg is, is not a... He's not a... He's arguably yes. a C-list mm. character. No, maybe easily. Famous, but... Which tells me that they weren't interested in telling the story that that they were originally trying to tell with this. They were just like, let's put the focus on the moneymaker characters. It's it's the most corporate movie mm -hmm. I've ever seen, was, was the studio cut of Justice League. So I, I was a big fan of Cyborg in this cut. I think he was one of two characters who were the most dramatically improved, and the, the other one is the, the of next Of course, one the out. next one coming up is... 
Apart from Cyborg, one of the characters that is most drastically changed in this movie is Superman. Even though he's dead for most of the movie, he is constantly on everyone's minds. Um, this movie is very much about his effect on the world, who he was and who he could be, both in good and bad terms. I really like this version of Superman. This is going to sound a little weird, because when he's first introduced, we see his death, he's passed away. When he comes back, he is not the same person that he was when he died. And I don't mean the weed cut, where he's inexplicably much more cheerful and likable. It's like, I like life now. <laughs> There's clearly something wrong. He did mm -hmm. not 100% come back. And we see that a little bit when he gets aggressive in the attack scene, but actually throughout the rest of the movie, he's off. Yes, he's not 100% the man who went to the ground. He could be, again. And that's actually something that I find interesting, is that this movie does set itself up. It makes the nightmare sequences make a lot more sense, because mm -hmm. that is a potential future that this Superman could go to. Because when he wakes up, the first thing he does is attacks. Lois helps bring him back a bit. She brings him to Smallville. He recognizes his love for that place. He reunites with his mother, and he recognizes... <laughs> but he's not magically healed. He's not magically healed. There's still a darkness when in his eyes. When he decides to go back to the Kryptonian ship, he subconsciously chooses a darker suit. When he's yeah. fighting with Steppenwolf, Does he, come in black? he is more brutal than he has been in any fight scene before. Yes. Remember that Lex Luthor threatened his mother. Uh, Zod threatened his mother, his planet, his family, and he was forced to kill Zod in the end. But that decision broke him and he didn't want to. Steppenwolf hasn't done a damn thing to Superman. Like, sure, he knows what the stakes are. He knows that he's planning to destroy the world. But personally, Superman hasn't been hurt by Steppenwolf at all. But they're fight very much quotation marks it's one-sided it's not a fight it's it's yeah. a beatdown is incredibly brutal he lasers off one of steppenwolf's horns when it's clear that steppenwolf is out he's out of the fight he's down he is still beating on him and wailing on him and laser eyeing him yes this is not a superman who's okay this is a superman who is teetering on the edge who is on the precipice of either becoming the greatest hero in the world that he used to be or going down a much darker path and becoming the monster that batman feared he could become in batman v superman the direction superman goes in this movie i think retroactively makes batman v superman a better movie it's an interesting direction that shows where this story was going the end of this story is going to be the battle for superman's soul i love these changes and mm -hmm. henry cavill does it fantastic job of selling this the whole time but it does service to the character show both what he was and also showing just how much they could lose even with him back yeah i agree with that and i think what they did which was which was so such a good balance to hit was they did everything you're talking about zach they they put him in more of a darker more brutal direction than we've seen but at the same time 
he's he's much more consistent with his characterization from the previous movies at the same time. There is still a much better acknowledgement of the previous movies where the Whedon cut or the studio, whichever we want to call it, like that version of the movie with that kind of filmed, the found footage scene from the very beginning, it kind of like retconned him to say, oh, he was always the Christopher <laughs> Reeve Superman. Like, no, he yeah. wasn't. That was no, not no. the way he was. And I was so happy to see, and, and Zach, you kind of touched on this in, in the, the previous Justice League review, the fact that they used the Hans Zimmer mm. Man of Steel theme in this movie, and the fact that they, they, I love the scene, it was right out of Man of Steel, where you hear the voices of his human father and his Krypton father. It wasn't even so much a thing of like him choosing between the two philosophies, which is a lot of the struggle in Man of Steel, it's him remembering those words from both of his fathers and saying both of you are right you know it was such a great moment and it really felt like the man of steel sequel that we always wanted but never quite got it felt like a little taste of that okay so for superman i'm not a superman fan (laughs) actually me either (laughs) i'm really not (laughs) and Zack snyder's superman i'm not a fan of that at all See, that's the one version of Superman I love. The problem is 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 that his character kills so easily without being provoked. He killed Zod, and he didn't have a reason to kill Zod. In the scene where he killed Zod... He did. (laughs) I know that you two are are making faces, and Superman has this one rule. He had no reason to kill Zod. He could have stopped him without killing him. I come from that. Now he has a reason to be a shitty person. <laughs> but he is darker. Um, it's like you said, Zach. He is much darker. He is more torturous. And it's not that he's careless. He kind of enjoys beating on Steppenwolf. Now, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is a character, if she thinks that she's got to kill you, she's okay with that. But she comes from a different background, and she believes that sometimes you do have to kill to make the world a better place. Um, I don't have the beliefs of Wonder Woman. I don't have the beliefs of Wonder Woman. But I do understand that there are characters like that. I have played characters like that. So I understand there are those with that mentality. But he, there is a darkness in his eyes. There is a confusion that you see from the very beginning where he is resurrected to the very end. And even in the very end, you see that confusion and you see that darkness and he doesn't know what's going on. I love that. And I thought for the first time, Zack Snyder got this version of Superman correct. And I like, it It goes back to that, can Superman become their enemy? And we know how it'll work out, you know, he'll become the bad guy and then they'll talk him back into being the good guy, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. If, if they make those <laughs> movies. <laughs> it may not be Zack Snyder making the movies, but they have too much of an opportunity to make that money. And money speaks. <laughs> if if a studio thinks oh we can make a lot of profit off of these off of this franchise they're gonna green light it there's one thing we know about warner brothers they are absolutely willing to take a 180 turn in the middle of the stream to follow the money they they were they were probably driving that evergreen uh ship when it got stuck in the canal <laughs> <laughs> Right, someone drop the dollar. Go back, go back. But but for real, I I liked 
this Superman. And I liked that we had a we finally had a character with a problem, and we were able to see that. The notably sharper, shinier version of Steppenwolf is in this film. So Steppenwolf is never going to be a character that is loved by anyone exactly. When he was first announced, I was like, who's Steppenwolf? This movie does not really change the fact that he is a punching bag for the protagonist to hit. He is a big, dangerous punching bag. But this movie, I think, does a much better job of selling, yeah, he's a dangerous punching bag, who could actually be an issue. And, again, not nearly to the same degree as the change with Cyborg. It does a slightly better job of humanizing him, I thought, in introducing the idea that, okay, the reason he wants to do this conquest is not because he's got a weird mother box fetish, who knows what was going on with that, but because he wants to go home. And he has basically been told by his family, yeah, you're not coming home until you conquer like 50,000 more of these bitches, and also we're going to change the count. This 50,000, how are you going to notice whether or not I change the count? <laughs> so this is a guy who has basically been exiled for life. He wants to go home. He knows that he has no chance of it whatsoever. So he is on a job. He doesn't even hate Earth. He doesn't care about Earth, really. It's just one more to cross off his infinitely long checklist to try and redeem himself. Until he finds out about the anti-life equation and finds that he might actually be able to come home any minute now. So, he's not a very important character, but I do think that this movie still does a better job. He was always going to be a one-off, one-note villain, but it still does a better job with him this time. I I do agree with you. Um, I'm glad that they started off so low in the totem pole, and I'm glad that they made it evident in this cut that he is low in the totem pole, and Darkseid doesn't want to fucking see him. Yeah. He doesn't want to talk to him. He doesn't even want to know mm-hmm. that he's still alive. So I really do like that. Um, But I love the new design. The new design is more organic, Mm -hmm. I think, than the older Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. And he's more sleek. He's able to really move. And he honestly reminds me of Frieza's, what is it, second form? (laughs) Yeah. This isn't even my final form. I like how more clearly alien he is. Like, the first one is like, this just looks like a guy with a slightly pointy chin. Whereas this one, it's like, no, this is an alien from a race of big fucking bastards. One of the weirdest paradoxes of this is that despite him being more obviously alien, he also at the same time felt weirdly more human Mm -hmm. in this version. Where you could more clearly see his emotions and... Wow, despite the fact that he is, like, more clearly obviously not human in any way. He just wants Darkseid's approval. He just, he just yeah. wants to come home. I just want to see my family. My family's psychopathic, but you yeah. gotta love your folks. <laughs> Steppenwolf is never gonna be a fan-favorite villain. No. He wasn't, like, outstanding to me, but I think they, they did a better job. You pretty much nailed it, Zach. He was more intimidating in this version. Because there, there was a definite lack of intimidation factor in the previous one. He was, he felt more intimidating. He felt more dangerous in this version, and the fact that he was so clearly desperate to get back, his desperation, I think, added to how dangerous he felt. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the wounded animal thing. There, I will say, there was one line from the theatrical cut which I kind of missed 
in this version, which is where he's menacing Silas. He's in, he's trying to get information out of Silas. Silas says something like, I'll die before I tell you anything. In the theatrical cut, he says something like, Ah, finally, someone with some spirit. <laughs> yes. Like, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. that line in, the, in theatrical. And this one, he's, he's just like, then you will die. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, oh, okay. This, this one doesn't have time for quips. He's just... Well, Joss yeah. Whedon writes better lines. <laughs> well, I just like the fact... I just kind of like the fact that, you know, Steppenwolf in, in that version was like... Yeah, he was like, you know, I got nothing personal against you guys. I kind of appreciate when one of you guys like yes. actually has a spy. And it's like, hey, there we go. I like this guy. I like this one. I'm still going to kill Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll make it faster. I'll make it faster. <laughs> but in, in pretty much every other respect, I think Steppenwolf was improved yeah. in this version. Steppenwolf is the antagonist of this film, but this film also makes it clear that Really, their enemy here is Darkseid and the New Gods. Like, Steppenwolf yes. is in a fight right now, but Darkseid is going to be a, a problem with a capital P later on down the road. So, I also love that... So, Darkseid visually has some similarities to Thanos, but there are important differences, which is that they're, yes, they're both big men. They're both big brawny gray men who sit in a chair. Uh, Thanos is an insane man. He's a very powerful man, but he is an insane man. Darkseid is a god. Jack Kirby intentionally made Darkseid and his world of apocalypse as very obvious stand-ins for fascism. Yes. Uh, Thanos just wants to kill a lot of people. Darkseid is a I'm fascist. I'm sorry, for fashion? No, if you've seen any of Jack Kirby's art, obviously not fashion. Like, good lord, not fashion. <laughs> like, he, he comes up with a lot of interesting characters, but man, he cannot dress them for shit. But <laughs> Darkseid is kind of the fascist archetype, in that his very appearance is that of a giant stone monument made flesh. Uh, he is, looks like he has lava running through his veins. His end goal, which is exemplified through the anti-life equation that they mention, is not to kill everybody, but to get them to believe him heart and soul and do what he says. To be worshipped as a god, to be believed and worshipped unconditionally, no matter the truth. And one thing that I find interesting about both this version of Darkseid and Darkseid in general is that his myth that he gives to his people is that he is untouchable, all-powerful, and impervious. And that's very clearly the image that he's going for here, the sheer distance that he puts himself between Steppenwolf and himself. You know, his legion of underlings and lackeys calling himself a god, putting himself on this pedestal. We see in this movie very early on that he got his ass handed to him. The ancient Ur-Justice League of a thousand years ago, those heroes, they kicked his ass. He got his ass beaten. He got sent home. He's not invulnerable. He's not perfect. But his goal is to have everyone believe this. So much of what how he works is just to have people believe, despite all evidence to the contrary, that he is an immaculate, perfect god. And I like that this was so well translated into this version. Like, Zack Snyder really gets who Darkseid is as a character. I'm not saying Zack Snyder has a loose grasp on DC. 
he does a really good job. I honestly do think he does a really good job as creative content controller. I just don't think he gets Superman. But DC, yes, I do. And he did really well with with Darkseid. Darkseid is one of my favorite characters, bar none. I don't care if we're talking Marvel, DC, any of the of the comic books you can bring up. Darkseid is one of my favorite characters. And of course, I've mentioned her before, Granny Goodness, which we get a glimpse of in this one, and they went with a very different look. Um, but we didn't hear her voice or anything, so I'm wondering about this. Uh, but that's tabled for later. I'm just saying that's not Granny Goodness. She's not supposed to be thin. This, this is like Granny Goodness about 20 years <laughs> ago, or since she's a god, like two million, like 2,000 yes. years ago. It's like, yeah, the, Granny Goodness is... Supposed to look like a sweet, you know, kind of overweight yeah. old lady and, you know, generally talks in a kind tone and then does the most horrible yes. shit possible. And is also, like, insanely yes. physically strong as well. Uh, but the dark side in this, I fell in love with. When I saw dark side in the trailer, I was hoping that he would be in a lot of the movie. And I was not disappointed. It wasn't just quick clips that, that Marvel gave us. It was, this is where I'm going with this. This is what's going on, and this is his thoughts. And not only did they just show little snippets of him, they gave him his own platform so that he could say, okay, motherfuckers, we're coming for you. I will say that the whole thing with him forgetting where he left the, the, uh, <laughs> the equation, it's like, come on. Do you have dementia? Did they beat your ass you so bad that you don't remember? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on. Fuck, where did I, did I, did I leave that? Oh, shit. Hey, guys, do you remember what planet we were on when I, you know what? Never mind that. Forget it. When you got your ass beat headed to you, you know, that's actually probably why Steppenwolf got banished is like he directly mentioned it's like, oh, yeah, the, the planet where you got your ass handed to you. All right, you're fine. You're gone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's my wolf. that's my biggest complaint. I don't know a lot about Darkseid. Again, not being a DC guy, there were two things that I had seen him in. I saw him in the animated movie Superman and Batman Apocalypse. I had right. seen that movie. That's an okay version. I saw Justice League War. That's a terrible <laughs> version. That doesn't demonstrate the character at all. <laughs> so my only my only take on Darkseid was that he's just he's kind of just the ultimate big bad. Yeah, Justice League, which is kind of my take from this movie. It's like he's just the ultimate big bad. It's like he's a bad dude. He just wants (laughs) to do bad things. Like he wants to take over the he wants to take over the universe. He was in more of the movie than I expected. I thought it was just going to be a brief cameo, but like he was actually in more scenes than I expected for sure. So I'd be curious to see what they do with him in the future. This movie also spent. Well, it's a four-hour movie. When I say it spends a little more time with people, I mean it spends a little more time with goddamn <laughs> everyone because they have the time for it. So Lois Lane in this movie, I think, has a... She actually has her own arc in this movie. She is trying to learn to let go of Clark, of Superman. She's clearly mourning him, and she's been having trouble getting back into the world. And it's not the most fantastic arc, but I did... I enjoyed seeing Amy Adams play it. Um, I liked seeing her in the role. Um, I, I always liked seeing her in the role as Lois Lane. And I liked the kind of reminders that Lois is 
very much a humanizing figure for Clark. Not just because he cares for her, but because of who she is. She go, When she's going to see Superman's grave in the beginning, she walks, you know, several blocks through the rain <laughs> and remembers to bring a second coffee cup for the guard who's going to be there. You know, in the original Man of Steel, she decided not to run her story because it might hurt Clark's life. So I always liked that she's a humanizing figure for Superman because of who she is, because he's inspired by her in some ways. And I like that, even though she didn't have the most screen time in this movie, because frankly this movie's not about her, that was still demonstrated in the scenes she was in. Well, she was just so... Like, they wasted her in the previous movie. I mean, I Amy Adams, she's so great. And I, I love her Lois Lane, and she, yeah... It's not her movie, and it never. This never was going to be Lois Lane's movie, but like they, they, they did a better job of servicing her character. The thing that cracked me up about the, the, the scenes where she's taking the coffee cup to the security card is when they show the barista making the the uh, the foam art <laughs> at the, the top of the coffee cup, and then they put the lid on it. <laughs> what the fuck was the point of that? We're just gonna put a lid on top of it. It's gonna be all shaken up by the time it gets to the guard. <laughs> exactly. It's like <laughs> the guard opens up the lid. It's like, oh, it doesn't really look like anything. It's like, oh, what well, was Fomar? It's like, well, I want it now. He like tosses it away. <laughs> I do like that they expanded her character, and I like that she got her own scenes and that we saw more of her, and that it wasn't just about Clark. Her story arc passes the Bechdel test. It wasn't just about Clark or Superman. We saw her trying to deal with life. It was nice. You don't get to see that. She's very different than any of the Lois Lanes in the comic books. But let's face it, the Lois Lane in the comic books, it's written to be a trophy for Superman. Amy Adams turns Lois Lane into a real person. And I, I love that. And she's uh, looks like she's pregnant in in this version, which is also absent from the, uh, the, the the theatrical cut. So that'll be interesting if we do get a direct continuation of this to see. What I didn't even notice that. that. Little, little John Kent down the line. There was there was a scene. Am I crazy, Zach? Wasn't there a scene where she she looked was looking at a pregnancy test? There is a pregnancy test in here, but she's not looking at it directly. She opens a drawer. That's right. I forgot what she takes out of the drawer, but she is taking something else out of the drawer, and there is a pregnancy test in the drawer, which... I, I, I took that as an implication to suggest that she was pregnant and that she had just... It probably it. Yeah. was. The movie actually doesn't 100% say either way. It doesn't show a positive pregnancy test, but it does show that she had a pregnancy test in there. and That, that, she, at least, that yeah. she at least suspects hmm. she might be. Interesting. Else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. But you're absolutely right. It was there for a reason. I don't want to talk too much about what Snyder said outside of this because, you know, I'd much prefer to have the movie on its own merits. But from what I can tell, Snyder did mention that at some point uh, he was going to at least briefly um, have Lois and Superman's son appear in another film. And he he talked a little about his plans with that. So I'm 100% certain that that was meant to. Um, imply that she was pregnant or at least suspecting at the time. And right next to Lois, we also have uh, Martha. Hey, Zach. Yeah? Why did you say that name? Why did I say that name? <laughs> why did you say that name, man? Why did you say that name? It's his mother's name! <laughs> Martha! So Martha does not have much screen time in the original Justice League. She also, frankly, doesn't have much screen time in this one either. And the scene, her most important scene in the movie is... 
interesting. When Martha speaks to Lois, gives her a real motivating speech just about going out there and bringing herself back into life. Um, talking about how the experience has shaken her, you know, how she's dealing with her own grief. We then find out at the end of the scene that it was, for some reason, not Martha, but Martian Manhunter, who has been General Swanwick this whole time. Which is the first hint, uh, first of all, that General Swanwick was the Martian Manhunter, because that was not telegraphed at any point. And this is also the first hint that, you know, there is a goddamn Martian Manhunter, because that was not telegraphed at any point. Well, I want to circle back to this because Martian Manhunter is his own point later on. So let's let's come back to that. The the only thing I was going to say on that is that because he's psychic, I think that much of what the quote-unquote Martha in that scene said was probably Martha's feelings. And I really did like Diane Lane's performance in the scene. I that's also because I really think that the Martian Manhunter was was an add-on that Snyder did as part of reshoots. I really think that as originally filmed, that was actually meant to be Martha. Mm. I, I I believe that's the case. I, I'm almost certain you're right there. But in general, like Martha, I also agree that Martha was not in the movie significantly more than she was in in the, the studio version. So. Her overall role that she played in the story was mostly the same. But I like Diane Lane. I think she does a good job in this role. One character who was hugely more in the film, and thank goodness for that, because I loved every second he was on screen, was uh, Silas Stone, um, Cyborg's father. I, I deeply enjoyed that he was a complex character. He was, in a lot of ways, he was kind of the Frankenstein, a man who was playing with forces that he didn't quite understand. He's also a man who was seeking redemption for not being there. He was constantly invested in his job. He was constantly invested in work. And throughout the whole movie, he is trying to... And he's not very good at it because, you know, that's part of being his issue. But he is trying to redeem the fact that he was not there as a father. And he is trying to reconnect. So he, he has more connection with the League. You know, he's a little more aware of what's going on. Um, he stands up to Steppenwolf when they're going for the box. And... In the end, he does sacrifice himself. What I love about that sacrifice is that it entirely depends on his faith in his son, in Victor. He sacrifices himself not to try and destroy anyone, not to, you know, use a weapon, but because he believes that Victor will know what he is doing, and he believes that in doing so, Victor can help save the world. And that is something I do love, especially since so much of... Victor's issue with him was that he thought his father didn't, you know, care about him, didn't see much of him, and didn't believe in what he was doing. And that act is saying that, you know, Victor, as you are, the person you are now, I believe is the one that can save the world. So yeah, I, I thought that was great. I also loved that he was the one to give a very pointed... You know, in the original cuts, Lois Lane gave a super generic, you know, speech about light and darkness. I can't even remember. It was super goddamn generic at the end of the movie. And here it was Silas giving a much more pointed um, speech directly about his relationship with Victor. Um, directly about his own failures as a father. And that speech just hit harder, hit more. Um, I, I deeply enjoyed the expanded role of Silas who, if I remember, actually lives in the studio version, but 
Here, he had a very well-earned sacrifice. Yeah, he has no on-screen death. Mm -hmm. So, as far as we know, he's still alive in, in the studio version. Yeah, he had a great... I love Joe Morton. He's he's a great actor. He's, he was great in uh, Terminator 2. He was great on the show Eureka. Oh my god, and, yes! Uh, but yeah, I really enjoy him in this role, uh, and I think that he was much better service. You pretty much said it, it all, Zach. Like, yeah. I loved his sacrifice. I thought for a second it was going to be the thing you were complaining about, Zach, when we were talking about Godzilla versus Kong, mm-hmm. where the wasted hero. I was worried sacrifice. about that. I was super worried that yeah, was going to be It seemed like it was going to be like that. I still would have been okay with it, because it's like okay i guess the point is just showing the bravery of ordinary people even Mm. in the face of certain doom but then his sacrifice actually matters because like he does exactly what he's trying to do which is just mark the the box so that the league can can track it Mm. so that's the only reason that they're able to to track down the mother boxes and track down seven wolf is because of his sacrifice and what he did in his final moments so he was he was a great character really well played well, that's what Joe Martin is is known for doing. I mean, he is the one that you bring in to bring that humanity, to bring that sacrifice. He is fucking phenomenal. And his his sense of humor, it's gorgeous. But he has that voice and that look, that inner monologue that pierces straight into your heart. And I, I think he's fucking phenomenal. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. He is just amazing, and I'd, I'd love to work with him. But I'm glad that they extended his scenes. That's that's why I was worried, because he does give that... He gives you that humane side, even though Cyborg doesn't know his father in that sense. And I connect with that, because my father has done great things, but I don't, I don't know my father for that. I don't have that, that type of memory of my father. He was always gone because he always had something more important to do. And that's something they really showed, that regret that Silas has because of him trying to do something greater with his life. It's just so beautifully painted out. And the way they tell it with the recorder, it actually, I watched Dolores Claiborne um, twice last week. It's one of my favorite movies from the 90s. And it's because they use that tape recorder to get that humanity out. And they did that with this one. And I was like, well, that is one of my favorite plot devices. And then I thought thought of Dolores Claiborne. So, yeah. I did have that thought uh, when when he uh, has the little voice recorder, the dedicated voice recorder. It's like, who uses those anymore? Everyone just uses their phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's kind of 90s. Speaking of uh, good father figures, so his role is actually pretty much fundamentally 100% the same in this movie. Uh, Henry Allen, this was my favorite scene in the studio cut, the interaction between Ezra Miller and Ezra Miller's Barry and Billy Crudup's Henry Allen. Again, this version is edited better. Uh, This is a better edit of the scene. It does play a little longer and laws were just a little better, a little more interaction between them. But this is fundamentally the same scene and fundamentally the same character as the studio version. So I'll just say what I said then, which is I love that scene. I love their chemistry and love their interaction. Yeah, actually, there's not really much to say other than that. But both both of the scenes, like there's one scene at the beginning and one scene at the end, and they're the same scenes that are in the studio cut. They're just better edited. 
There's just more time to let the moments breathe. It was there even in the, the original, but there's a lot more genuine connection between the father and son in this version. But yeah, two characters who did actually get a little more screen time were the uh, characters who eventually would show up in the Aquaman movie, Mira and Volko. I gotta say, Volko got more screen time. Volko got screen time. Volko's not in this, the original version <laughs> at all. I was like, all right, so yeah, Volko got screen he, time. When he showed up, I was like, oh, Will Defoe's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to see him. I, I love Will Defoe. I just always enjoy seeing him. I like that in this version. It's a little more clear that Volko's not just a mentor figure who's on Aquaman's side. This guy looks a little unhinged. He's got flyaway hair. He's got old armor. This is clearly not the favored man in Atlantis. Yeah, he kind of got the crazy eyes going on. He's he's got the crazy eyes. eyes going on. So you can see why Arthur might not be 100% willing to do what he's asking and take on the role. It's like... Uh, you you seem you seem a little weird about this. Amber Heard's Mira also got a little more screen time, and she's more or less the same character, a little more badass this time, especially when she unexpectedly pulled uh, bloodbending out. I did not expect to see that coming. Uh, which is like, oh wow, she could yeah, if she had a little more time, she might actually be able to win this fight. Who knows? I was completely surprised that Mira didn't say that uh, Aquaman had beat her and he really didn't. Right. So, yeah, the, the problem of the, who the actress is, I still, yeah, I don't I don't respect Amber Heard at all. I don't. And I would 100% be fine seeing her recast. Everything I have to say about Mira is, like, the writing for the character and the decisions made for the character uh, were a little more interesting this time around, but yeah, fuck Amber Heard. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the Amber Heard thing out of this um, for now. Mm. One thing I'll say about Mira is that she had this she had a weird kind of pseudo British accent in this version, which I didn't right, remember yeah. her having in the original, and certainly not in the Aquaman movie. No, which definitely was not. Like, in that was that was a little bit random, which made me think like. <laughs> They must have, either in this version or the theatrical version, they must have redubbed her dialogue. Either yeah. to give her an accent or to take away her accent. I kind of preferred yeah. her without the accent because I kind of felt like the accent went a little let it out, to be honest. Like, it was like, I actually would just rather she just not have one, to be honest. Especially since, yeah. like, I'm like, Willem Dafoe doesn't have a British accent. Why does she have a British <laughs> accent? If we're dealing with, like, a fictional society where there's no established accent, just let the actors use use their normal accents. That's my personal opinion, but... But, but yeah, but I, I thought that Mera was, was a little bit better serviced. And then, uh, uh, yeah, Volko, I just like Willem Dafoe. I just like it when he shows up in anything. <laughs> I just like seeing him in this role because I like it when he do- when he's in one of these movies not playing a villain mm-hmm. because he got he gets so typecast as villains and he's a great villain and he I think he mm-hmm. really enjoys playing those characters but Willem Dafoe like you ever see him in interviews and stuff he seems like such a nice dude like he it's <laughs> like I just like he seeing does. him play nice guy characters you know so like mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, seeing him pop up in this the, the two of them having a more expanded role it just created more connective tissue to the Aquaman movie I think is more mm-hmm. what it was more than anything else uh, one thing that wasn't on the original list but I do want to just briefly talk on because this is something that I couldn't help but notice throughout this entire cut and whatever you thoughts on Zack Snyder as a filmmaker he is genuinely a bit self-indulgent and that is generally one of the problems with this movie is that it is very indulgent in itself and often a bit self-important at times. One thing that I have to give him as a director and one thing I love 
about this cut, I actually genuinely love this, is that much more than a studio cut, but also much more, in fact, than some other movies in the DCEU, he really respects his actors, not just the big names, too. And that's the thing I love, is that it is not just the big names who are getting this time. There are plenty of side characters. Yeah. One of the Amazons, several of the Amazons, actually, during their scene, who you spend a little more time just with them, with their reactions, with their faces. These are characters who may or may not die. They're, again, completely nameless characters. We don't figure out who they are. But you care a little more about them because you spend more time with them. You know, he gets a lot of flack for slow-mo, and there's a lot of scenes where it's not really necessary. But one of the good things about slow-mo, and one thing he uses as well, is using it as a chance to create a moving portrait. Mm -hmm. Not in the sense of emotionally, although also emotionally, but literally in the sense of he creates a moving portrait. So the audience has a little more time to spend with the subject of those portraits, with the subject of these scenes, so that you have these Atlanteans, these Amazons, who are completely one-off, unnamed characters, but because you spend more time with them, you learn, you come to care about them and their fates, and because they're one-off characters, their fates are unknown. You don't know what's going to happen to them. They might, and some do, die horribly. I love that Zack Snyder trusts his actors and really respects the work of his actors again not just big names but all of his actors in this movie and that's just something i, I really enjoyed it seeing in this cut i think that was well said I, I don't have anything to add to that i think that was well said yeah i agree but uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier so some of this and i think a lot of these scenes were probably actually ones that he had uh reshot uh this movie was the formal introduction of the Martian Manhunter into the DCEU. Uh, we learned that apparently he's been there since day one. He's uh, also General Swanwick. But this is the first time we see that he is actually the Martian Manhunter. That was so fucking random. I'm sorry. Like, so Harry Lennox is the actor. He is a good, very good casting choice for Martian Manhunter. It was just so random that that guy was Martian. I think that they it just occurred to them at one point, hey, this guy we already have would be a good Martian Manhunter. Let's make him Martian Manhunter. That's what it felt yeah. like to me. Because I think Harry Lennox had also said in an interview that he didn't know that he was Martian Manhunter in the previous movies. He thought he was just playing General Swanwick. You know? yeah. I love Martian Manhunter as a character, but the biggest mistake I felt this movie made was the inclusion of the Martian Manhunter scenes. This is Zack Snyder's cut. This is him throwing in everything that he wanted to, everything that was cut. But for the purposes of this film telling its story, Martian Manhunter scenes were both unnecessary and just fucking weird. They were just like completely out of nowhere and... Honestly, they should probably have been cut. And again, I love Martian Manhunter. It's just they did no work setting him up earlier, and his appearances are just random as hell, as you said. It's random, but it was a good surprise for me. I liked it. Um, I liked what they're, you know, they're opening up uh, more of the characters that way. They're bringing in the Martian Manhunter, and you know, with the Martian Manhunter... Um, we're going to see more of the, of the lanterns and stuff like that enter. So we're just seeing this broad universe come together. So it was random. I completely agree. But at the same time, let's do it. Maybe we can get a Martian Manhunter movie. 
I'm down. My my overall thing with it is I think that it it made it work. I actually agree with you, Zach, that from an objective standpoint for this movie, I think the scenes were very unnecessary. It worked a little better for me that that last scene, actually the last scene in the movie where Manhunter's yeah. talking to Bruce Wayne, that scene made it work a little better for me. Because at least we're starting to explain who this guy is. Because the previous scene, imagine watching that having no idea who Martian Manhunter is. That is <laughs> so confusing. Like, I, I could see somebody watching that be like, wait, was Martha Kent an alien the whole time? Like, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, like, imagine somebody, like, watching that j- j- just be completely like, What? You know, Think even, about it. Even... Have you ever seen Have you ever seen Martha and Swanwick in the room at the same time together? Exactly. Got a point. Got a point. <laughs> exactly. No. So I that was just really that part was really confusing. But then they they kind of explained a little bit who he was. I still think that it wasn't really. It, it was. It, it kind of went back to the whole thing of it was very self indulgent. But again, I, I've I've mixed thoughts on how self indulgent this movie is. But I'll, I'll I'll circle back to that when when I talk about my my kind of summary of the movie. But but I, I, I largely agree with both of you. But I do think Harry, Harry Lennox is going to be a great Martian Manhunter, and I hope they bring him back. I, hope they I agree. Back. Absolutely. So one scene as well that we've mentioned quite a few times that this movie doesn't has a few scenes that are pretty much the same but are much better edited or have subtle changes to make it work better. Uh, the What surprised me was that the Deathstroke and Lex Luthor scene was not... A studio Whedon edition. I always thought it was. I always thought. It I always was, thought. It, yeah. I thought it was too. It seemed like such a weird studio edition, but an almost identical version of again better version of the scene plays out in this movie. The way it played out, the characters were acting and saying things that felt more like what they would say. Yeah, I I just don't like that Lex Luthor. I don't That's think it. he makes a good <laughs> Luthor. Most people don't. He would have been a phenomenal Joker, but he. Fucking sucks as as Lex Luthor. I go back and forth on this version of Lex Luthor, and I, I said this in the BVS review that I, I just felt that my main problem with it was just as an actor, I felt Jesse Eisenberg was just in a different movie from everybody. Else. Yes, that was the problem. That was the problem that I had with it. I didn't mind the writing of Lex Luthor, and I think that in this movie, even I, like Eisenberg is still playing it the same way, but he feels a little bit closer to a traditional Lex Luthor. It, just in this one scene, like it feels like he's just headed more in that direction. I still think that this scene just fundamentally didn't need to be in the movie. Nah. So what it actually was was a tease for the Ben Affleck Batman movie, which is not happening. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like okay, they could still maybe do something with this if they do any kind of continuation of Ben Affleck's Batman, which I hope they do. But we'll we'll see what happens. But I, I think that the scene wasn't necessary, but it definitely worked better. It made more sense for, again, with the characters. Like, it didn't make any sense in the original why they're just like, oh, we're going to make our own Injustice League. Lex Luthor in Deathstroke versus Superman and Wonder Woman. And, okay, no, actually, we're, this, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> Welcome to my He-Man Woman Hair Club. <laughs> I liked that they directly referenced these scenes from BVS and again retroactively made those scenes make a little more sense yes. uh, was the nightmare sequence and the extended nightmare sequence in this one I fucking I li- called it I like that we see I like that we finally get to see what those are and where this is going I mentioned this before with Superman 
But I like that it's a lot more clear where this is going. That these aren't just weird-ass visions and dreams. These are alternate futures that not even necessarily every nightmare scene we've seen is connected to one another. Because, as they mentioned, these are different attempts uh, to try and fix the future that have failed. Which also sets the better score for, okay, so what is going to be the magic ingredient to apparently prevent the most common horrible future from happening. Also, they opened up the Jason Todd uh, storyline with the Joker. They did. And he spoke to the Joker as if he was Jason Todd. The way he said, and I will kill you. That conversation was beautiful and glorious, and it made me make a mess in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) I have my own feelings on that and on the Jason Todd theory, so I'm still not 100% on the Jason Todd theory myself, but that scene gave a little bit of connective tissue as this version of the Joker is clearly connected to Batman. Whatever beef is between them is almost solely 100% centered on the Jason Todd incident. That is at the very core of their relationship with one another. Whether or not this is the original Joker who killed Jason Todd and is just trying to get under Batman's skin, reminding him of that, or if this is Jason Todd twist and warped by the Joker into a version of the Joker himself, there's one line that actually, I think, gives a tiny bit of credence to that theory. When he's directly mentioning, when he's talking talking to Batman and his voice like drops out of the Joker for a second. Yes. And he says that he sent someone who he shouldn't have sent, who was too young to send. Yes. And his voice, the only reason I think that gives any credence to the Jason Stodd story is that he does have that drop. He stops doing the Joker voice for one second and you could almost think that there is someone else underneath that. Yes. Yeah. He does not say that line in the Joker's voice. He says that line in a hurt child's voice. He really does. And all pretenses are dropped. In that one little moment, it was like late at night whenever that happened. And I know my neighbors hated me because I was just jumping up and down and screaming, Yes! (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. They thought you were fucking, probably. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do also just generally like that Jared Leto did get a chance to really go for the Joker. The Suicide Squad version, I don't hate, but this is a much more traditional version of the Joker, and he do, I do think he plays it very well. You know, seeing him, the way that he played this role, and thinking about that, that statement, I went back and I watched him as the Joker. I accept it. My harsh critique on the performance of the Joker fades away just because it could be Jason Todd, or because there is something rolled in there. Because if it was the Joker that killed Jason Todd, that moment also changed the Joker. Whichever way they go with it, I'm okay with it, because yeah. it's... A split moment, you know. The other, the other interpretation I got from that moment, which could be equally valid, it could be him dropping the Joker persona and Jason Todd reminding Batman of how he failed him, or it could be the Joker's one tiny infinitesimal bit of humanity saying, I actually do think that was fucked up that you sent a kid soldier after me. Yes. And, 
Yeah. I'm not going to change who I am. I am a monster. I did kill him. But you're the one who knew what I was and you sent him after me. You put him on my radar. Here's my take on the Joker, Jason Todd thing. I believe that originally he was written to be the true Joker. Especially because of the Harley Quinn part of it in Suicide Squad. But this scene, this scene was shot in October. And I mean this past October. This scene was shot super fucking late. I think that Snyder and the, the anyone else who worked on this movie were very much aware of a lot of the fan theories that have been happening about this Joker. Mm. And they're like, you know what? We're going to give you guys a little something. And purposely do it in a way where you can interpret it either way. So that people who mm. think that this is the true Joker can still think that it's the true Joker. And people who think it's Jason Todd, here's a little... Here's a little bone for you guys. Here's a little something for you guys. Because I, I really think that moment you're talking about, Zach, it really felt like it was done with an awareness, a self-awareness of the Jason Todd Joker theory. I completely and, agree uh, with you. Um, I enjoyed seeing this kind of weird uh, post-apocalyptic Justice League 2. Uh, like, just, it's like Batman flashed with a little mustache. Uh, which <laughs> I, I enjoy it. <laughs> Mira, which was interesting, Cyborg, and then and Deathstroke, which was really interesting seeing Deathstroke on that team too. I was also just happy for Joe Manganiello because like they really screwed over Joe Manganiello of like you're gonna get to play Deathstroke and you're gonna be a major <laughs> character in all these movies and then nothing. You know, he's in like one shitty post credit scene and then that's it. So I'm glad that they brought him back for this and I hope that they bring him back again because he's a great actor and I think he's gonna be a great Deathstroke. This is a really enjoyable scene. I also think that it technically was unnecessary for the movie. But again, it's it's what we'll kind of come back to. I do think that the movie objectively should have ended at the end of that Silas speech when it kind of fades to black. Mm. I think that that should have been the end of the movie. And I, I think any of these, these three scenes, you know, the Martian Manhunter thing the Deathstroke Lex Luthor thing and the Nightmare scene. As I actually really enjoy these scenes, especially the Nightmare scene. I think it's a really cool scene that I really enjoyed. It didn't need to be in the movie. But at the same time, again, we'll, we'll kind of get... Uh, I'll kind of circle back to that when, when I talk about my overall thoughts on the movie. You shut your whore mouth. <laughs> I, still like the, I still like the scene a lot. It just doesn't have anything to do with the movie that we just watched. I'm just playing. So now it is time to give our final thoughts on our overall scores on the movie. Uh, so, Troy... Uh, what are your thoughts on the Zack Snyder's Justice League? All right, so given that the hype is up, and, and I will tell you that I love this movie as much as I do because of the hype. I watched it twice, but it's well written. They take out some of the best lines, in my opinion. And it's nice having the background for Cyborg and for Flash and even a little bit for Aquaman. It was nice seeing Willem Dafoe. Everything that they put into it, they put a lot of hard work into it. I don't know if there's actual deleted scenes left over after they poured this into it. I highly doubt there's a single deleted scene. I think they put fucking everything into this movie. I completely, <laughs> I completely agree with you. They put all the original scenes and they made new scenes too. <laughs> Overall, I really like this movie. I have to give it, even with all the flaws that I see. And granted, I did say a lot of it is hype. 
And I am on that hype train. I can admit that. But I have to give it a 9 out of 10. Because I thought it was very well done. And far superior to the studio cut. So what I thought about this movie... I mentioned before that my thoughts on the studio cut changed drastically after watching this movie. What I have to say about this movie that I love about it is that whatever anyone's thoughts on Zack Snyder's overall talents as a filmmaker, uh, whatever complaints you can make about how self-indulgent he is, how self-important he can get at times, how there were scenes in this movie that maybe shouldn't have been in there just because they didn't make much sense in time. One thing that really was driven home the whole time I was watching this movie and that I absolutely loved start to finish is that Zack Snyder really cared about making a good movie. He cared about the material he was working with. He believed in the material that he was working with. He cared deeply about his actors and he respected their abilities, their abilities to affect the scene through the subtlest of details. And again, as I mentioned, not just the big name actors, but all of his actors. He deeply respected their ability to make a scene. The editing in this version is really well done. These characters are beautifully translated. They are beautifully shown. The worst thing that I have to say about this movie is that, again, he's a bit indulgent, which just goes back to the central thing, is that he believes in what he made. So that's a good flaw to have, in my opinion. Yes, it does get a bit excessive at times, which is why I'm not going to score this perfect, but I'm going to have to agree that I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 because this is not just an attempt to make a superhero cash cow film, big summer blockbuster. He is genuinely trying, and I think in a lot of ways succeeded, to make a superhero epic, a real well-made story. Yeah, my first thought after watching it was the motherfucker made a Greek epic, a Greek saga. That's how I felt. <laughs> I actually said something very similar that this this was this was a myth. This movie was a Greek myth. Here's the thing. If you've been listening to this podcast up until this point, you know by now that I'm I am actually a genuine Snyder fan. I love Zack Snyder. I gave both Man of Steel and BVS 9 out of 10. I think that this movie is completely self-indulgent. There are several scenes that don't need to be in the movie. But here's the thing. They fucked him over so hard the first time around with this movie that they they pretty much owed it to him to put whatever the fuck he wanted to put in this movie. This was basically... This wasn't just him making his version of Justice League. This was him giving us a taste this is what my series would have been if you would let me continue it. That's the thing. Flawed masterpiece is the phrase I'm going to use with this movie. I would much rather a movie have flaws because they took a big swing. And maybe those swings didn't quite work out, but at least they took a huge swing and they went for something and they had a point of view. Then see a movie that completely plays it safe and is literally just constructed by a committee to reach as broad an audience as possible. This movie isn't trying to reach the broadest audience possible. It knows what it is and it knows what it's going for. And it knows the people like me who are Zack Snyder fans are going to eat this shit up. This is my favorite movie in the DCEU. 
This is one of my favorite DC movies. This is one of my favorite superhero movies. It's a 10 out of 10. I agree. If, if the biggest problem with this movie is that there's too much of it, I'd rather have that than not enough. I think it was a love letter to the fans. That's how I felt. Absolutely. 100%. I love how self-important it is. I love the weirdness that it's in a four by three aspect ratio. I just, every bizarre thing about this movie, I just eat up. I really do. But that's me as a Snyder fan. The only movie of his that I hate is Sucker Punch. That's the only movie of his that, that was shit. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Like, I was lucky that I was already a fan of his before going into that. That that movie was his worst yeah. work. It was so bad. But I love all the rest of his movies. I really do. But yeah, so that is about all the time that we have. I know we didn't quite take the same four hours that Zack Snyder <laughs> did with this, but I know this is going to run a little longer. Troy, where can we find uh, you? You can find me on Facebook under Troy Hensley and Instagram as well under Troy Hensley. You can find me on the corner. I'm pretty cheap. Let me know. <laughs> and uh, Sam, uh, what's your what's your deets? Uh Yeah, you can find me on instagram at sc wilson underscore actor that's sc for cats w-i-l-s-o-n underscore a-c-t-o-r yeah i'm an actor director writer video editor a lot of different things i'm in a band called midnight voltage just look for midnight voltage on facebook and instagram if you like punk rock music check us out excellent i'm of course zach snyder uh, not the one who we just spent hours talking about, the one with a little more sh in uh, both the Zack and the Schneider. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. You can find me on Twitter also as Zachariah Schneider, at Zachariah Schne, S-C-H-N-E-4. Okay, so you can follow the Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in at sign the Nerd Shit Podcast, all one word. And then on Twitter, just at the nerd shit, also all one word. And then you can subscribe to us uh, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're just called, if you just search for nerd shit with an exclamation point, we should come up. We're represented by the poop emoji with nerd glasses. And yeah, none of the other ones that have similar names are us, but we're just called, I think we're the only one that's just called nerd shit with an exclamation point, so... If, if you find a poop emoji, that is us. Next week, we'll be covering the great monster bash of the century. The biggest prize fight, and I do mean the biggest prize fight uh, that we have possibly ever seen in studio and film. Thanks for joining us, as always, uh, for being on the nerd shit. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. Let them fight. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. So strap on it. Because we're talking about the nerd shit